As many of you know, Christine and I were away over the last two weeks uh, on a trip to the land of Israel that our church provided for us last year at the church's 25th anniversary, and we're incredibly grateful for that experience and look forward to sharing more about that with you in the future. Uh, Unfortunately, I was on the Golan Heights between Israel and Syria last week and not this week, so I'm very glad to be back here with all of you. I want to say a special thank you to Jeremy and Roddy for speaking the last two weeks, and uh, Tim uh, nice will be continuing our series next Sunday, and also just want to say a huge thank you to our, our staff as they walk through this last week with our church, uh, especially in the time that I wasn't here. Um, Tim and Roddy and their leadership uh, has really guided our church through this very difficult time. No one wants to get a call or mess, a text message when you're out of the country that says, call immediately. But that's what I got last Sunday. For us, it was evening. I learned that Johnny and his daughter Leah had left church um, after finishing up here and um, experienced the snow and ice that many of you knew we had. They observed a car in front of them spin, go off the road, and flip on its side. Johnny, as is no surprise, pulled off to the side of the road and went to assist the other driver, helped to get him out of the car, while his daughter Leah stayed in the car and called 911. Very shortly after getting out of the car, she heard a loud bang and turned over turned around to see that both her dad and this man were laying on the shoulder of the road in the driveway. and The other driver had a broken leg, and Johnny suffered a traumatic brain injury. Currently, he's breathing on his own, um, but he's still unconscious. He's occasionally opening his eyes, but he's still unconscious. And um, our prayers are for him to make a full recovery. But the difficulty is trauma to the brain does not follow a predictable pattern like other injuries follow. And this makes his recovery incredibly uncertain and likely something that will take months. So Christine and I got this news when we were thousands of miles away. And like many of you, we couldn't do anything. Um, We got a little bit of information and we couldn't do anything. It was scary. And it's still really scary. As we came back and came to understand the seriousness of his injury and the potential length of his recovery, my mind was flooded with all kinds of questions that I heard echoed by many of you that I talked to in the last couple days. Why did this happen to Johnny when he was helping someone? Doesn't serving in church and helping people in need protect you a little bit more than the average person from horrible trauma like this? If not, what do I do when it happens? I believe God is in control, but my heart right now just aches for Johnny and Susan. I know I should pray, but will it really do any good? The other thing that happens when these kinds of situations take place in our lives is it pushes up in our minds all kinds of other painful, difficult things that we've experienced in life that we don't have answers to. God didn't solve my financial problems. He didn't heal my relative who had cancer. He didn't keep my parents' marriage together. He took my father in the prime of his life. I lost my spouse right when we were going to enjoy our golden years together. I finally have time to enjoy life, and my health is in such that I can't even do that. And these and many other questions just kept flooding through my mind over the last couple of days throughout this week. 
Some people said in emails they sent to me, you know, John, I had a similar difficult situation. I just trusted God and it all worked out and, and we don't need to question. And I said in my own mind, I didn't say this out loud, but it doesn't always work out. It doesn't always work out. So we have this truth in our heads that we sang about, but our hearts are trying to reconcile what we feel right now. The fear, the uncertainty, the questions. And as I sat with these events, as I sat with these tensions that were in my own spirit, God brought a story in Jesus' life to my mind that I want us to spend time looking at this morning. It's a story in John chapter 11. If you have a Bible and would, would turn there to John chapter 11. Um, there's a Bible in seat right in front, in front of you, and that's the page number on that Bible. It's page 871. And John chapter 11, verse 1, begins by saying this. It said, a man named Lazarus was sick. He was from a village of Bethany, the village of Mary and Martha. This was a village just outside the city of Jerusalem, about two miles, a village that I went through last week. Um, and it was a place that Jesus likely stopped a number of times. You see, all the Jewish men, and if they could with their whole families, were supposed to three times a year come to the city of, Israel, the, the city of Jerusalem for feasts. We think of Passover as the main one that they come, but they actually had to come three times during the year. And they would spend a week long, a week at, this, at the city of Jerusalem for this annual festival. And so likely, Jesus had developed a relationship with Mary and Martha and Lazarus. If you go back and read the end of Luke chapter 10, you discover that Jesus stayed at their house. And as he stayed at their house, he encountered Martha, who was very busy doing things, and Mary, who sat at Jesus' feet. And Jesus provides some instruction for them in that passage. We also know that Mary was the one who had anointed Jesus' feet with perfume, as it goes on to say in verse 2, and then chapter 12, the very next chapter, tells the story of this happening, and then wiping his feet with her hair. And so they sent word to Jesus that their brother was sick. Lord, the one you love, who's described as Lazarus, is sick. And why did they contact Jesus when Lazarus was sick? Because they knew that Jesus could do something about that. They knew he could do something about it. The same reason we call out in prayer when we find ourselves in a difficult situation. God, can you solve my financial crisis? Can you help me get a job? Can you help me find a different job? Can you help me find a boyfriend? Can you heal Johnny? And so what do we do when we find ourselves in a time of crisis? We call out to God and we ask him for help. Why do we do that? Why did they do that? Because Jesus had healed people in the past. You might recall the story of a man who was paralyzed and so he couldn't walk to Jesus. And so his, his four buddies put him on a, on a stretcher and they carried him up to the top of the house and they pushed aside the olive branches that were on the top of the house and pushed aside the supports that held the olive branches and they lowered their buddy down and what did Jesus do? He healed him. There's a man with leprosy who came to Jesus. What did Jesus do? Jesus healed him. There was a woman who had a, a, an issue with bleeding for 12 years and she touched the hem of Jesus' garment and he turned to her and found out who it was and what did Jesus do? He healed her. And this is what Jesus did. It says people brought Jesus all the sick. The whole town gathered his door and Jesus healed many who had various diseases. So it's no surprise that when their brother was sick, they contacted Jesus and asked him to heal him. But Jesus seems to have something else in mind. 
Because look what Jesus says in verse 4. When he heard this, Jesus said, This sickness will not end in death. No, it's for, the, for God's glory, so that God's Son might be glorified through it. Jesus didn't stop what he was doing, set it down and say, Oh, my friend is sick. I should go and do something. My friend is sick. I should go there and be with him. My friend is sick. I should go take care of him. Jesus didn't do any of that. He says, no, this event is for God's glory so that God's Son might be glorified through it. I don't know about you, but it leaves me scratching my head a little bit. Because Jesus had the capacity to heal. He had the power to heal. He had healed in the past, and then He chose not in this moment to heal. He chose not in this moment to heal. And His explanation is so that God would get the glory. I don't know about you, but I want God to heal my friend, my partner, my teammate, my brother. That's what I want God to do. And I know God has done that in the past. And He has the power to do that. But what do I do with this? What do I do with this? This whole idea of glory is something that's a little confusing to us. Uh, the word glory simply means to exalt or celebrate. Um, you know, and it was the middle of the night, but I did get a chance to watch a little bit of the Eagles Super Bowl victory last weekend. I think it was 4 a.m. when I was watching it there in my hotel room. Um, and then the whole, city of Sil- the whole city and surrounding people of Philadelphia celebrating the accomplishment of their team. And so this word glory means exalt or to celebrate, to give honor to. But the word glory has another meaning to it and it also means to give weight to. To give weight. You say, what do you mean to give weight? It's to make something heavy or significant versus light and fluffy and pointless. And so when you give something glory, you add weight to it and value and meaning and importance to it. You hear someone, they hear people talk about, you know, who's the big heavy? That's the person that you have to listen to because they have all the weight and the power and the significance and you pay attention to what they have to say. And God says, I want whatever is happening in your life, whether it's good or bad, what I long for is not just to fix and solve your problems. What I long for is for God to get the glory through all of that. Say, what does that look like, John? What does it look like? Well, it looks like us recognizing, you and I recognize that God is the king of the universe. He's the creator of all, that he's the sovereign Lord. To recognize that he's in control, he's good, he's faithful, he's just, he's loving, his ways are best. And everything that he allows towards those he loves will turn out for good. The struggle is, if you're like me, you just want the pain to go away. That's what I want. If you're like me, you just want the struggle to disappear. If you're like me, you want your your marriage, your friend's marriage just to be fixed. You just want careers to succeed and kids who are far from God to come back to God. And, And while those are not bad things to long for, as we talked about last month, those are just surface desires that are not at the core of what God longs for us. You see, God wants more than anything for Him to receive glory. For Him to receive glory. 
The psalmist said this, the psalmist says, you have been crowned with glory and honor. Being made in the image of God as an image bearer of His, He has placed on you glory. And He said, you matter. You're significant. You're worth something. Not because of anything you've done, but because you are made in My image. And God not only has placed that inside of each one of us, He longs for us to give Him glory forever and ever. Amen. And all throughout the New Testament, says this over and over again, to Him be the glory, to Him be the glory, to Him be the glory, to Him be the glory. The writer of the New Testament somehow wanted us to understand, God somehow wants us to understand, that more than anything else, what matters the most is that God gets the glory. If you're like me, you want God to solve your problems, and if God gets some glory along the way, that would be nice. But for Him to be glorified, to be the most important thing? I'm not sure I'm there. I'm not sure I'm there. It sounds a little selfish. It sounds like God's just using us to do something for Him. Let's go back to the story. Verse 5 says, Jesus loved Martha and her sister Mary and Lazarus. Jesus loved Martha, her sister Mary, and Lazarus. Why did this get put in the story? It seems kind of random. It doesn't say this about Jesus to any other specific person in the rest of the New Testament. Why? Why? I wonder if it's because when painful things happen in our lives, where God doesn't show up and do what we want Him to do right away, and to fix our problem, to solve our pain, and to ease our struggle, we wonder if God still really loves us. Can you read that verse? Put your name in there. Jesus loves. Can you read that verse? Put Johnny and Susan's name in there. Say, Jesus loves them. And I wonder if the reason that John included this in this story is because as we look at what the response is and how this story unfolds, we cannot lose sight of the fact that there is a God who loves us and a Savior who loves us and a friend who loves Lazarus, Mary, and Martha more than they could ever know. So when he heard that Lazarus was sick, what did he do? He stayed put. He stayed put. It doesn't make any sense in my mind. He had the capacity. He had the power. He had the relationship. This was someone he loved. And he stayed put. Somehow, God getting glory 
was more important than God fixing their problem. Lazarus had two sisters, Mary and Martha. And they each responded very differently to the situation. And as you listen to their responses, my hope is that you find yourself in, both of the, in one of these two stories. He said to his disciples, our friend Lazarus has fallen asleep. I'm going there to wake him. The disciples had no idea. They said, Lord, if he sleeps, he's going to get better. They were clueless. So just let him take his nap. Jesus said, no, that's not what I'm talking about. They thought he was talking about natural sleep. So he told them plainly, Lazarus is dead. And as he came to the town of Bethany, he found that Lazarus had been in the tomb for four days. In the culture of that day, there was no embalming practices. And so when someone died, they would immediately take the body, wrap strips of cloth around the body. And as they would wrap a strip of cloth around the body, they would sprinkle incense and perfumes and so that the body, as it decayed, would not the odor, it would control that. And then they'd wrap another layer and they'd sprinkle more of that. And they'd wrap another layer and they'd sprinkle more of that. And then after they would take that, they would take it to the family tomb. And it wasn't like we think of a tomb, going, a grave going down in the ground, but it would usually be a cave. And inside this cave, there would be like a, tu- a tunnel, like a tube, where they would slide the body and it would sit there for a year until it had decomposed. And so this had, the body had been treated, had been put in that tomb area, and had been there for four days. Many people came to comfort Mary and Martha in this loss of their brother, so they weren't alone in their grieving. Martha heard that Jesus was coming. She went out to meet him, but Mary stayed home. So the first person that we meet in response to Jesus' actions was Martha. And if you recall the story of Mary and Martha from before in Luke chapter 10, Martha was the one that was busy doing many things, taking care of the meal, making sure everything was right, everything was perfectly in order, all the details were being covered. That's Martha. And she comes to Jesus and she says, Lord, if you had not been here, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. She knew Jesus' power. She knew his capacity. But she said, you could have fixed this. You could have solved this. You could have taken care of this. Because Martha entered into it from her mind, cognitively. And the only reason she entered cognitively into this discussion with Jesus, because that's the way it was safe. For her to think about it first. And so what did she then go on to say? She said, but I know that even now God will give you whatever you ask. You messed it up the first time, Jesus, but you got a pipeline to God and you still got all that power, so now do something about it now. Fix it. Solve it. Take care of my problem. Make this go away. Jesus didn't correct her. Jesus didn't say to her, that's not the way this works. Jesus didn't say to her, you've kind of got it mixed up. Look what Jesus says to her. Your brother will rise again. She's like, yeah, I know that. Why are you telling me something I don't know? But she thinks it's in the last day, at the end of time, when our spirits that are with God eternally will be joined with our bodies. That's what she's thinking is going to take place. And Jesus is saying, no, no, no. He said, I'm the resurrection and the life. And then look where he goes. The one who believes in me will live even though they die. And whoever lives by believing in me will never die. He said, this is more about my relationship with you. 
You having hope and confidence and trust that I am who I say that I am. Do you believe this? You would almost expect it a simple, yes, I believe this. But look where Martha says, she says, I believe that you are the Messiah, the Son of God who's to come into the world. She clearly articulated her faith and belief and trust and confidence in the, who Jesus was. But Martha just stayed here. Martha just stayed here. Say, so why did she just stay in her thoughts? Because it was safe for her. It was the way she approached life, the way she came at life, the way she navigated through life. What's the problem? What do we need to do to fix it? Let's map out the steps and let's figure out who's going to execute it and go there. But Jesus said, Martha, there's something more important than just you thinking this problem through. It's called a relationship with me. A relationship with me. And maybe you're a little bit like Martha where you want the facts, you want the timetable, you want the recovery plan, you want to know what you're supposed to do. And so as you've heard this difficult situation that we have walked through as a church and what has happened, your mind is consumed with what's the plan? Who's executing the plan? How are we going to get this done? What's the steps? Who's going to execute it? And God is saying to you this morning, I want you just to stop. I want you to stop. Because all you pay attention to is and stay up here, you're going to miss something. You're going to miss me. And you're going to miss connecting with me. Because I'm the good shepherd who says, I want to walk with you in the valley of the shadow of death. I want to walk with you when you are fearful and afraid and uncertain and you don't know what the outcome is going to be. I want to walk with you in all of those things. You see, in a crisis, you need people who think first because they help to map out a plan on what we need to do. But at some point, you have to allow your heart to enter what is going on in your struggle. You see, God doesn't just want us to live here. He wants us to live here and here and in our deep desires and to live life wholeheartedly. Mary has a very different response. When she came and saw Jesus, she fell at His feet. And look what Mary said. Lord, if You had been here, my brother would not have died. Does that sound a little familiar? Sound a little familiar? Those are the exact same words that Martha said. Exact same words. But Mary's response is different. She doesn't approach things from her head. She approaches things from her heart. Because look what happens. The Jews saw, Jesus saw her weeping. The Jews who had come along with her also saw her weeping. And He was deeply moved in His spirit and troubled. You see, while Martha encountered things and faced life from her mind first, Mary encountered and faced things from her heart first. And neither one is wrong. They're just different. And both of them have to enter each other's world. But both of them have to be realistic about where they're at. As I talked to some of you about the experience this past week, some of you mentioned to me that you had difficulty concentrating on work, at work 
and your thoughts were there constantly with Johnny and Susan and what was going on and what was happening and, and checking for updates because your heart was there engaged with them. And it was difficult for you to navigate, what do I need to do next? And that's what Mary, that's what Mary, how Mary responded. And her emotion was so deep, it drew other people in, and not only drew the other Jews, but it also moved Jesus, who said, Where have they lain? And he said, Come and see. And then Jesus himself wept. And say, John, is Mary better than Martha? I don't think either one of them is better. I think they're just different. While Martha needed to set aside her doing and set aside her task and allow her heart to be met by God, Mary needed to set aside to sit with her emotions and then let the truth that we sang about, the truth that we know about God, the truth that we know about His relationship with us, guide and protect and guard her heart so that she could walk through the things in life that needed to be faced. So what happened? Jesus, once more deeply moved, came to the tomb. It was a cave with a stone laid across the entrance. Sounds very familiar to a story we'll look at in just a couple of months. He said, take away the stone. But Lord, said Martha, the sister of the dead man, by this time there's a bad odor. Older translations say, he stinketh. It's words of every mother, school, middle, mother of middle schoolers. Um, for he's been there four days. It doesn't take them four days. It takes them four hours, you know. Um, so don't do that, God. It's already started to decompose. There's no point in this. You know, Martha almost can't help herself to kind of manage and control the situation. You know, she kind of, it almost takes over her even to continue to give Jesus orders here. Jesus said, didn't I not tell you that if you believe, you will see what? Lazarus raised from the dead. And that's not what he wanted them to see. He wanted them to see the glory of God. I want to see my friend healed. It's hard for me to say that I want the glory of God more than that. But that's what he longs for. And that's what he wanted them to know and experience. So they took away the stone and Jesus looked up and said, Father, I thank you that you've heard me. I know you always hear me, and I said this for the benefit of the people standing here, that they might believe that you sent me. When he said this, he called in a loud voice, Lazarus, come out. The dead man came out. His hands and feet were wrapped with strips. Jesus said, take off those grave clothes and let him go. When God's glory gets revealed, when God's glory shines through, people are freed. People are freed. When God's glory shows up, people are free. And then we took time to sit with each one of us this morning, talked about our stories, talked about our lives talked about our past, our struggles, our pain. Likely all of us have something we long to be free from.
And I wonder if instead of trying to get free from that thing, that we've lost sight of what God wants most in us for us to focus on His glory through that. When God gets the glory, does your pain go away? No guarantees. Do your problems get solved? No guarantees. Does Johnny get healed? I don't know. But somehow in all of that, God has a way of making sure that He is the one that gets the glory. And He always does what is good for those that He loves. The result in this story, many, many people believed. Many, many people believed. This is not an easy path that I'm inviting you to walk down. It would be easy for me to say to you, we just need to pray and pray in faith and pray that God will give us the faith to heal Johnny. It's hard for me to say to you, I want you to pray that God will heal him, but I want more than that for you to pray that God will be glorified through all of this. You know, for Jesus, when He was in the garden, He sweated drops of blood. He agonized with His Father when He said, not my will, but yours be done. Is it any surprise that this is hard? Is it any surprise that this is difficult? If the Son of God struggled and wrestled over this, and I say to you, this is what God's inviting us to do. God wants us to come to Him to wrestle with His sovereignty, to wrestle with His control, to wrestle with the fact that He's in charge of this, to wrestle with the reality that, that He could have allowed that car to come out of its spin and not flip over, allowed the car behind it not to spin and hit them, or allowed Him just to have the broken leg and not the other guy. More than anything, God wants us to give Him glory. Not only in this, but in everything that we do. This is a hard struggle. There's nothing easy about this. It's hard for Johnny, for Susan, for Tyler, for Leah, for our staff, for our worship team, for our care team, for many of you that know and love him, for their extended family, their friends. The writer of Hebrews talks about these struggles and he says this, he says, endure hardship as discipline. He goes on to talk about discipline. He kind of looks at hardship and discipline the same way. He said, God allows these things for purposeful reasons in our lives. At the end, he says, no discipline or, or hardship seems pleasant but painful. Later on, it produces a harvest of righteousness and peace for those who've been trained by it. Right now, we can't see that. We can't see it. It's a hope that we hold on to. He says, strengthen your feeble arms and your weak knees. And then he says, I want you to make level paths for your feet so the lame may not be disabled, but rather healed. When we were walking over in Israel, one of the things they said to us, they said, if you're walking on a smooth path, it's new, which means it's been created sometime in the last couple hundred years. If you're walking on a rocky path, it's old, really, really old. And we walked on lots of rocky paths. So many rocky paths because I didn't have good support around the sh on the shoes that I had. My ankles, when I would wake up in the morning, would just ache. 
ache because we had walked on so many rocky paths and my feet were doing this the whole time, the whole time. And the writer of Hebrews says, you need to make the path for your feet where you're going to walk level. And as I saw this verse, I thought there, that means there's things that need to get moved out of the way for us to be able to walk forward in this. Moved out of the way. For some of you, the things that have to get moved out of the way is your need to do and to solve and to fix. Say, God, I just need to stop and be with you. For some of you who are feeling this so deeply and your hearts are aching and you're struggling with it, you need to move out of the way the lies that Satan puts in there as things for you to trip over. The lies that God doesn't care or the lies that it's really not fair. You need to move those things out and grab hold of the truths that you believe. And ask God to bring about healing. And so what does God want us to do? Well, I think the first thing God wants us to do is pray for Johnny's healing. Not at all suggesting that. I please, I hope you don't hear that from me this morning. But I'm inviting you to pray more that God would get the glory through all of this. In his life, in Susan's life, in Tyler and Leah, in each of our lives, that somehow God would get the glory. And that you would pray to that end. James says this, the prayer of a righteous person is powerful and effective. Sometimes we say, all I can do is pray. Instead of thinking, the most important thing I can do is pray. And so God's inviting you to pray. I know many of you have been, and many of you, if not all of you, will continue to do that. If you're like Martha, my challenge is for you to slow down and be still and explore your heart. You say, I don't know what you mean, John. What are you feeling? I'm not really feeling anything. Obviously, Johnny is not going to be with us for the foreseeable future. He's been a part of many of our lives weekly up front here. Part of our care team. Walked with many of you through difficult things in life. And so there are things we are missing right now. One of the ways to connect with your heart is to take a few moments and say, what am I going to miss about him? What am I going to miss? I hope God brings that back. I don't know if he will. But what am I going to miss? And allow God to meet you there. If you're a bit more like Mary, and your heart's just been aching all week long, I hope that you can grab hold of the truths. might have to be a verse of scripture. might have to be a song that you play a thousand times. I don't know what it will be for you. But I hope you can grab hold of those truths about who God is in our lives. And this process that we're talking about here, this is not just a process just for this situation. 
Anytime we face a difficulty and struggle, this is what God invites us to do. He doesn't want you to solve and fix it and take care of it yourself. He wants you to allow Him to be with you and to walk with you. His Spirit is our comforter that walks alongside of us. And we share that with one another so that they can walk alongside of us as many of you are doing that with them right now. As we close this morning, I want to invite you to bow your heads and just take a moment and pray. Talk to God about where you're at right now. And I'll close in a moment. God, we want so badly to wind the clock back to last Sunday afternoon at this time and just say to Johnny, go a different way. It's so hard, God, to watch our brother and our friend his wife and his kids, his dad, all of us who know and love him and know and love them go through this incredibly difficult struggle. And yet, God, the truth is that you are a God who is completely, 100% in control and who loves him more than we will ever know. God, I struggle to reconcile those truths in my head and my heart. So, Father, we need you. We need you to heal Johnny. We need you to help us to long for your glory to be what matters most, not only in this situation, but in our lives. Because selfishly, we just want things fixed. And so God, to elevate you, to put you first, to put you above everything else, we need your help to be able to do that. Desperately, God. In your name.